great to see you today. Don't you love our worship team? Man, they uh, just bring us to the throne room and um, just appreciate it very much. Kids are gone. Spared up a lot of seats all of a sudden, didn't it? Uh, when they make their way out. Tonight, at 6 o'clock, we're going to be praying in here. Uh, my prayer is, is that this is a holy ground. This is a, a room that we come and experience the Lord in a, in a deep way. I, I have one request because, um, you know, I, I have uh, sometimes people say, well, what do you really foresee happening tonight? You know, that's not in my hands. Uh, I just feel like we've been obedient to what God has asked us. And uh, this month has been building up to this time of prayer tonight. And so uh, this is what I ask. And, uh, and please understand my heart. You know I love you. If you're coming to spectate, don't come. Uh, we don't, we don't, this is not a time of spectating. This is a time to cry out unto a holy God. And so I just uh, invite you to come uh, from 6 to 7 tonight just for a time of crying out to God. And uh, I look forward to what's going to happen uh, just like you do. But uh, we're, I, I want to take this opportunity to wrap up some of my thoughts as we've talked about this going against the flow of our culture. And, uh, you know, this month has uh, been sharing my heart with you about a lot of things I see out there and, and discern out there. And I want to talk just once again about how that we as Christ followers today are going to make a, uh, uh, make a difference in our day as we go against the flow. The temptation is to always go with the flow, Right. I mean, uh, it's, it's tough to go against the current, to go against the flow. But that's what the Lord asks of us as we read his word. We are to be different. We are not to be odd, even though our world may consider it odd. We are to be different. There's no doubt about it. And so uh, if you got your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans 12 in just a moment. But let me give me a few minutes just to set it up. Uh, I found something that I thought was really unique, and it's called square watermelons. Uh, and I have a picture of a square watermelon. Uh, how many of you have seen square watermelons before? Many of you have seen them. They were, uh, uh, Japan came up with uh, square watermelons because it wouldn't roll around in your refrigerator nor the back of the truck, you could uh, stack them. And uh, this is what would happen. So I did a study on square watermelons this week. And the way they make them, they have this contraption, this square. And when the uh, watermelon starts to um, uh, develop, they put this square cage over it. And so it is uh, fitting that mold that is there. Now... Uh, here's the interesting thing about square watermelons. They have to pick them prematurely because they 
they don't want to damage them, uh, the square watermelon that they are. However, they are really not edible. They, they get them so early that they don't fully develop, and so they're really worth nothing except for ornament uh, situations. If you were to look at the cost of a square watermelon, you would know why they're not edible. <laughs> you can't afford them. But uh, they, they got these square watermelons, and they have picked them. So, you know me, uh, uh, everything's true on the internet, but, but if you get into it, you know, you can get in those uh, YouTube wormholes. And so I'm watching on square watermelons, and I'm watching this take place, and it's really very interesting. But, but they said one thing, because they're not edible, uh, or they're not tasty at all. They said, shape is more important than content. Shape is more important than content. I thought, man, that, does that not describe our world today? The shape that you're in, what you do, how you fit in, how, you, how you're in the world's mold is more important than what is internalized. And we've been looking at uh, our culture today. I, I just want to throw at you some more thoughts just because you will be able to identify. I was this thinking about our culture a little bit more. And one of the things is our culture fit in at all costs. Whatever it may cost you to fit in, you need to fit in. Also, the media and Hollywood or social media, it determines our styles and trends. I, I, I was tempted this week to go get my high school annual and to put a picture of, of me up there playing basketball. Because there's a picture in my high school annual uh, long floppy hair, obviously, this, we're talking about uh, 70s, short shorts, knee-high socks, and I was in style, baby. I was in style. Now, if I were to do that today, you would laugh me off this platform because our social media and our culture have said what's in and what is not in. Uh, also, needs versus wants in our culture. We're told, we're, we're told, and yeah, I mean, we've had this, this conversation before. If you have a Google or, or Siri or whatever, Alexis or whatever you may have, she, she is listening, right? And so you start talking about something in your house, and the next thing you know, on your social media chain, you start having those things uh, all of a sudden pop up uh, on there because they assume this is what you want. You don't need it, but you want it. And so they're dictating what you want and what you need. Another thought is this. Compromise at all cost. Compromise to fit in. Compromise your uh, morality, contra, uh, compromise your truth, compromise what is ever there so that you fit in. 
Also, morals are dictated by basically the majority. Uh, or they're dictated by those that have a voice, it seems like. And we, we fall into this all the time. We, we let uh, the morals of our country slide, and, and, and that's what they did. They, they, there's this slow fade that happens. Last thought is this. I'm afraid the church has gone to sleep a little bit about this. I was on a Zoom call this week. You know, um, we have elections coming up in November. You need to, if you're not registered to vote, please register to vote because you need to vote. And these are midterms elections. But locally, uh, school board elections are huge right now. And uh, so you need to uh, uh, be registered to vote so that when November rolls around, you can be ready to vote. But I was on a Zoom call, and this guy was talking about uh, school board stuff. And uh, since I'm the old-timer among the pastors, I started explaining a little bit how we've got into the situation we've gotten into. And it's not, there's no blame really to throw stones at. Uh, what happens is, is in fast-growing areas, sometimes there's a tendency, because so much stuff is going on, for things to slide under the table and rise to leadership, and you didn't even know about it. And so what has happened is, is that we've seen this uh, slow progression, and so uh, what has happened is, is that we've had a tendency to go to sleep. Now, what has happened is that the bears have been poked, right? And so we don't, we, we gotta make a difference. But uh, it's not like, you are here, you're walking with Jesus, hand in hand, heart to heart, so close, and then all of a sudden you take a conscious step and you're in a backslidden uh, condition, uh, turn your back on the Lord. That's not what happened. What happens is, is that we're over here and there's this slow fade, this uh, prone to wander that, that flows into us, and we wake up all of a sudden and see ourselves over here and we're thinking, how did we get here? And so what we need is we need times of repentance to say, okay, God, bring me back. And some of you are li like to get out in the lake and you like to get out there on your flotation device and you're out there sunning or laying or whatever you're doing. You close your eyes for a few minutes and you open your eyes only to see. You didn't feel it, but all of a sudden you see yourself have drifted way down there and you think, I got to get back. And you're thinking, where did this take place? And so I think the church has fallen asleep a little bit, but I think it's time that God is awakening his bride. He's poking us and our eyes are opened up and say, okay, Lord, we've drifted we want to come back uh, to you in, in this. And so um, these are very vital thoughts on our culture. Many of you know what a chameleon is. Chameleon are lizards. Uh, they can vary in, in, uh, in length. But uh, uh, a chameleon, the, God put this in them when he made them as a camouflage device. But you put them on greens, they uh, can change their shade to a shade of green. 
You put them on browns, they can become a shade of brown. You put them on different things. And I know some of you were cruel to chameleons and you would take them and you put them on a speckled thing, wondering what's going to happen. You know, from what I know about chameleons, they're a lizard that loses its tail. So maybe that creates chaos and they lose their tail in that. But a chameleon changes its shade to fit in to whatever the culture or the color says that it is. And a person who is a chameleon is a person that will change their behavior or their belief to please others. And I think that we live in a day where many of us have become chameleons in our culture. Many Christ followers have become chameleons. And if we are to go against the cultural flow, we must be different. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans 12. And let me uh, give you a biblical background. Romans, Romans is, uh, for you guys that are in this room, you, they're beef eaters that we used to could afford beef. Romans is steak, man. It, it is steak from the word go. In chapter 1, Paul starts laying out the Roman culture that I've talked about. He says that many have uh, uh, exchanged worship of the Creator for the worship of creation. So they've given way to idolatry. That idolatry has moved into a deviant uh, sensuality that I will call immorality, uh, men with men, women with women, he mentions that. So they've gone from idolatry to immorality, and then at the end of chapter 1, he talks about that they're given over to a depraved mind, so there's insanity. So he's talking about the culture, their idolatry, immorality, and giving way to insanity. Where are Where's the United States of America on that uh, continuum? I'm afraid to answer that question. But we we see that Paul lays it out, and then he says this. You get on on Romans 3, there's none righteous, no, not one. Seven billion people on the planet, there's no righteous. There are none righteous. So as good as a person thinks there is, thinks they are, uh, there's none righteous. But then he gets into hope. Romans 5, uh, God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were in this sinful condition, Christ died for us. And then we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He talks about that. And then he gets into uh, Romans 6, 7, and 8, which is really the meaty part, but we struggle with it sometimes. Uh, especially 6 through 10, we just don't understand it uh, completely. But we do understand this. Uh, In chapter 7, he says, why do I do the things I don't want to do? And I do the things, I mean, he just just describes the uh, carnal mind, the fleshly mind, and we can identify. And then he gets to Romans 8. He says, the answer is in the Holy Spirit of God. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead indwells us as believers. 
and he starts talking about how the Holy Spirit uh, starts working out this transformation in us. And then he gets to Romans 12 and following, and how do we live this out in an immoral culture? How do we live this out in a culture that's gone from idolatry to immorality to insanity? How do we, as followers of Jesus, live this out in our day? And that brings us to Romans 12, 1 through 3. And this is what it says. Paul is writing. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. I think that what Paul has laid out here Yes, was for the Romans in that first century. But let me tell you something. It is for our day. So I want to walk through it uh, just simply if I could. First thing I want you to write down is this. Present, present yourself. Present yourself. He says this. He says, I plead with you. I, I, if we could just see the heart of Paul here. He is, man, I can't plead with you enough. I think that more pastors today need to understand in their messages that they come from the, from the scriptures that is a pleading with people. We, we, we appeal to you. We plead with you. And then he's, he's not pleading as their preacher. He's not pleading as their teacher. He's not pleading because he's a good guy. He's pleading by the mercies of God. He's saying, listen, Jesus Christ paid it all for you. He did everything for you. His mercy has been abundant and clear to all of you. His mercies are there. So I plead with you by these mercies of God, and this is what he said, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, that's difficult. We don't understand sacrifice. Sacrifice to us is when the remote gets in the cushions. We, we, don't know, we don't know, understand complete sacrifice. But Paul is saying, you need to be a living sacrifice. And I know that's an oxymoron because living and a sacrifice is supposed to be dead. But we are to be living sacrifices. And you're thinking, well, I, I want to be a living sacrifice, but I'm tempted so often to crawl off the altar. And I, I understand that because it can get painful to be a sacrifice but we're called to be a living sacrifice to offer ourselves and and literally the 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 scriptures bring it forth as a command as a choice you make so don't just sit around and think oh god uh do what you can to make me a living sacrifice no he's saying you make a choice you make a choice to be a living sacrifice. Oh, offer yourself totally unto God. Uh, offer, 
your bodies. Offer this earth suit. Offer your will and your emotions. Offer all of this to God as a living sacrifice. We are tempted to make token sacrifices in our day. Many of you know the story of the the pig and the chicken that were walking down the street. And it was early morning, they were hungry. And so they come upon a cafe and it said, special today, eggs and bacon. And the chicken says, wow, let's go in and eat, we're hungry. And the pig said, there's no way I'm going in there. He says, why, why is that? And he said to the chicken, he said, for you, it's a contribution. For me, it's a total commitment. And I think we live in a day where many of us have taken the road easy route to less commitment instead of total commitment. And you see, the Lord is saying, follow me, follow me. He didn't say, come and be a spectator. He said, follow me. And this is what Paul says. He says, uh, I plead with you by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual form of worship, is what I read. But that word worship there can actually be translated the word service. So what Paul is saying is, don't separate your secular life from your sacred life. Don't separate your work life or school life from your church life. You have to have it all together. And your spiritual form of worship, you see, we think worship is singing songs and raising our hands and, and praying and those kind of things. That is a form of worship. But what Paul is getting across, your whole life is an act of worship. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You present your bodies as living sacrifices. So that means when you get up Monday morning and you go to work or you go to school or you go wherever you go, you are actually being able to serve God and worship Him right there. And that's what Paul is saying, as living sacrifices. And we have been confused in this area in our day. I think our, our culture has just run over the church and we said, oh, that's the world's problem. That's not the church's problem. Listen, I'm not saying, uh, um, well, what I am saying is, is we got to pull our heads out of the sand and say, God, make us different, make us loving, make us merciful, make us full of justice. And uh, Lord, let us be this way and loving, which is different in our day. So we're called and Paul says, I plead with you. I plead with you. And then, second of all, he says this, and you can write this down. Don't conform. Don't be conformed. He says, don't be conformed to the pattern, literally, of this world. Square watermelons. Those square watermelons are in a mold. Thus, they come out the way they do. And they are able to say it's presentation and not content, right? Our world says presentation and not content. They try to squeeze you into their mold, and, and that's what he is saying. Our kids, when they were little, just like uh, we may have them over in the nursery, um, 
that you, you take the Play-Doh, you would stick it in that plastic thing with the arm, and you would have the little thing you could shift, uh, stars, circles, crescent moons, uh, I probably missed something in there. But I, I just wanted to show you I have done this. <laughs> and so you squeeze the mold, and you take that little knife that we give to kids, and you cut it off, and you would have... And the reason they're there is because they were squeezed through a mold. And, and that's what Paul is saying. Don't let the earth, don't let the world and its culture squeeze you into its mold. Don't become like the world be, be who I called you to be. At the, at the Alamo in San Antonio, there's a picture, and the picture is a depiction of James Bonham. James Bonham was one of the heroes of uh, the Alamo. And uh, James Bonham, it, this picture is a portrayal of James Bonham. However, it says that this is James Bonham, uh, Maybe his great-great-grandson, I think, is what it says. And, and the reason that they have him pictured there is because there's no original pictures of James Bonham. So they knew that his great-great-grandson looked a lot like him. So they took the picture of the great-great-grandson and they have it at the Alamo as the depiction of James Bonham. I wonder... I wonder if a picture of you and I were put in the throes of hell, would we represent Jesus? Would people be able to look at us and say, you know, he's a child of God. There's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. I see some of your little kids, and I see some of you dads, and I see your, your little ones, and I'm thinking, man, that's you made over. And I wonder if our Heavenly Father can say that about us. We're our Father made over. But don't be conformed. And then the last thing he says is, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that test, by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I know somebody says, Mark, I don't know how to do that. How to be transformed. The word transformed, literally, we get the word metamorphosis from it. Metamorphosis, uh, many of you have, back in the day, had caterpillars. And the caterpillar, uh, we had one one time, put it in a box, cut the lid open, put cellophane so we could look in there. And sure enough, the caterpillar spun a cocoon right there and, and eventually over time broke free from that cocoon and he got a butterfly and you're thinking, man, God, you're creative. And, and that's, uh, that's metamorphosis. And we found out uh, another way about metamorphosis. Uh, we, when we lived over at Agar Acres, we had behind our house kind of a creek thing. Uh, it was mainly good for mosquitoes. But, but we had this, and uh, rained one day. Me and the kids went back there afterwards, and sure enough, we found a bunch of tadpoles in a puddle. And uh, uh, I said, let's go back and get the fish bowl. We had just a glass bowl, and let's get the fish bowl, and let's uh, get the tadpoles. 
And sure, sure enough, we got them, took them back to the house and put them up uh, in the kitchen uh, window into the kitchen and uh, so we, we can watch them. And we're watching them, and uh, they, um, they start to change a little bit. We didn't think, oh, man, this is cool to watch. Only to wake up the next morning and go in there, and they had sprouted legs, and there's tadpoles all over the kitchen. They, they'd come out. And so we understood metamorphosis right there uh, to get rid of those tadpoles. But that's what metamorphosis is. So what Paul is saying through God's inspiration here is don't let the world squeeze you into its mold because God has so much more greater plan for you. And it's a plan of transformation. It's a plan where his Holy Spirit, as you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, then what he does is through the power of his Holy Spirit, he transforms your mind, he transforms you, he takes your chaos and he transforms it into life. And I know some of you uh, in this very room are eager to come tonight just because your chaos has gotten so consuming that you're thinking, oh God, can you transform my chaos? And I want you to know he can. He really can. Uh, if you're willing to let him. I, I think sometimes we create our own chaos. But he is willing to, as he transforms us. And, and the transformation is not only for believers in our chaos, but the transformation is for those people who don't know Jesus Christ, who, who want to know that life is more. I, I was reading in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4 the other day, and about the veil over uh, the heart. And people of this culture, that until they know Christ, there's a veil over their heart. That's why when you talk to people about the love of God and, and they try to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus, there's this veil over them. And I think God is waiting for us to pray, God, remove that veil. Just lift that veil so that they can come to know you. But transformation is, uh, is what he desires. And you're thinking, okay... Mark, how do I do that? Well, I think it begins. Uh, I think it begins with the Word of God, which is a mind renewal in itself. But it also comes to the point of yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit as we become living sacrifices unto Him. When I was um, when I was a boy growing up in Waco, one of the local television shows had uh, stations had a show that would come on every afternoon. And it was uh, Zebo the Clown, which isn't a big deal. But uh, Zebo the Clown, you know, you got a birthday party, you could go there and, and uh, uh, scout troops and, and that kind of stuff. So they'd be there, and it was a whole show. But part of the show was uh, Zebo, who uh, his actually name was Bo. I, I looked up some history on Zebo. He actually. His name was Bo, and his wife called him Zebo, so there you go. And uh, so, but he was an artist. And what would happen is he would have those flip charts with the uh, paper and everything. And so he would have a kid come up, and this was part of his show, and he would have the kid come up, and the kid would draw something on uh, the paper. 
Now, you know how kids are. They're going to draw anything. They're thinking, oh, Zebo can't make anything out of that. They would draw a squiggly line or just a straight line and think they could trick him. But Zebo would be able to take that chaos, whatever it may have been there, and he would turn it into a picture of a person or, or an animal or something beautiful. He would take the chaos, Zebo the Clown would take the chaos and turn it into something beautiful. And I want you to know that that's what God does. God takes how squiggly your drawing may be and how squirrely it may be, and he can turn it into something beautiful. And some of you, some of you need to hear this today. Your story is not over. Your story for your kids is not over. Okay? Sometimes we just think, oh, that's the end. Let me tell you, you may be dead and gone in glory, but the story's still, it's not still done here. Let me ask you this, and then we're going we're gonna to pray over Carl. Have you gotten squeezed into the mold of this world? Oh, Mark, I'm a little bit better than this world, but, I, but my faith is weak and, and this kind of stuff. I mean, the world just squeezes in you. Maybe, maybe there's a slow fade, that drift that came into you, and you're thinking, gosh, Lord, open my eyes to where I'm at, and, and the step back is repentance. And so I, wanna, I just want to begin this morning, and we're going to continue on tonight. Just, oh, God. Oh, God, I want to become that living sacrifice. Show me how to get up on the altar and to stay there. And, Lord, transform my mind to be the man and the woman and the student and the child of God that I'm called to be. And, Lord, uh, only through you, only through your spirit can I flow, uh, can I go against the flow. I want you to bow your heads with me just a moment. And... Um, I want to pray for you. Father, Lord, I know the struggle. God, this slow fade is such a killer. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Oh, Lord, take my heart and seal it. Seal it to thy courts above. Father, you called us to be different in our day. Lord, in a day that is hopeless and full of anger and full of fear, and full of doubt, God, you want to raise up a people who are full of love and grace and mercy and justice. Lord, begin with us here today. And Lord, for that person that is still in this room that is yet to experience you, Lord, would you remove the veil from their heart? Let them see you. 
So, Father, please speak to us now. And Lord, thank you for godly people that are willing to serve you. And Father, as we get ready to pray over Carl and Christy, Father, just show yourself anointing afresh and anew upon them. 